Paul, in writing to the, the church there, had some very important ideas that he was trying to communicate, and also some problems that he was trying to deal with. Uh, it was a <coughs> it was a real privilege uh, for John and I to visit Corinth back last spring, and to realize that we were standing in some of the places where Paul had once been, and seeing things, buildings, ruins of buildings, that were standing when he was there. Uh, Corinth was quite the city back in those days. It was in what we call Greece, uh, located right on the isthmus between the northern and southern part of that of that country, if you're looking at a, at a map, you know, you would uh, come down from the northern part, go across the isthmus, and, and then Corinth would be on that south part. Um, so, with water on both sides of the isthmus, uh, that makes it a seaport. In fact, it's a very important place uh, in the ancient world for that reason. And so, all the things you associate with seaports would be associated with that, and I'm not just talking about the, the business of the ships, but the uh, behavior, shall we say, that goes along with that, uh, the drunkenness, the immorality. Uh, it was a center of commerce, religion, and immorality. Uh, there were many temples there. Uh, I wanted to include some pictures from our trip, and I couldn't get the network and my iPad and my laptop to cooperate. So you have to just use your imagination. Right? Don't have any idea what it looks like. Uh, right behind the city was a very tall mountain called the Aquacora, on top of that was a pagan temple, and every night the, uh, literally, the priestesses who were prostitutes came down into the city of Corinth. Uh, not exactly the environment that you expect the church to be growing, and so the result of looking at the situation of what happened there at Corinth, it was a very troubled church. Uh, church problems were nothing new. Uh, you know, we, we look at situations, we hear what's happening in different, different churches. Corinth was a mess. And if you look and read through 1 Corinthians, you find, uh, and often when I teach uh, on 1 Corinthians, I, I kind of overview the idea that the problem with the church in Corinth was worldliness. It was carnality. It was people who professed to be Christians, people who professed to be spiritual, behaving as badly as the people of the world. In other words, that when people who profess to be saved act like they're unsaved, you got a problem. And so as you go through the book of 1 Corinthians, you find, <coughs> even from the first chapter, Paul says, I hear there are some divisions among you. Some of you say, I'm from Paul, I'm from Apollos, I'm from Cephas. Uh, that there is a division there. 
I've got a drink of all, but judgment, yeah. Uh, thank you. Um, then there's, um, the, the elitism here is, is kind of like, who baptized me? And there are people who kind of pull in there and think, well, I was baptized by Peter, I'm better than everybody else. I was baptized by Paul. And you think about how childish and petty that atmosphere or attitude is. You have passages that indicate racism. You know, Jew, Greek, and other different backgrounds. You have Paul mentions the lawsuit between Christians. Says your church loses when that happens. When you go to unjust, unchristian people to try to resolve differences between believers, you have immorality, idolatry, you know, uh, all kinds of problems related to that. Uh, you've got an immoral situation Paul refers to. Uh, you have the issues of meat being offered to idols. And kind of the result of that is division in the church. And that kind of reaches a, a climax in the book when Paul begins to talk about the Lord's Supper. He says, I, I, I can't praise you for how you approach the Lord's Supper because the division among you is such that it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. I mean, yeah, you may be having bread, you may be having cup, you may be thinking about talking about it, you may be praying, offering praise. But <clears throat> when your attitude is divisive, when in your heart you don't see fellowship or connection with other Christians there, and you're actually thinking, I wish they weren't here. Paul says, that is the Lord's Supper. That is the church. And so in his two letters to Corinth, Paul is trying to confront the problems that are there. And in a way, you think, <laughs> I think it's amazing that those letters are not hundreds of chapters long. When you think about the nature of the problem and how deep the issues are, but division, carnality, threatens the unity and the work of the church. You know, you think about how non-Christians look at the church and see how these issues would spill over. It just discredits everything the church represents. It undermines the preaching of the gospel. You know, Paul's point really is to say that the church needs to be united and needs to be one so that the, the world can see that this is the body of Christ. And we'll talk more about that. But that, what's going on there, even compromises its worship. And so I kind of get you thinking about, you know, what you've done so far today. You know, the prayer, 
the same. The Lord's Supper. Where are you with that, with God? Is it as one who is in harmony and in unity with the other Christians who are here? Or would God be disturbed and even hurt? But then the problem is, is that Christians hurt one another. Well, we don't treat one another in unity. So, Paul, and you know what's really interesting is that as you go through the book, uh, beginning in chapter 11 through chapter 14, Paul specifically focuses on the assembly of Christians. Just a quick point, the New Testament never calls this worship. Worship goes on when Christians come together. But it's the assembly. Right? Hebrews refers to the assembly of ourselves together. And in the assembly, where there was division, you know, Paul comes in to try to, to deal with the issues through chapter 11, which deals with the Lord's Supper, 12, 13, and 14, that deal with uh, spiritual gifts and maybe even more importantly, the attitudes that people have toward one another. That the, uh, the focus comes down to chapter 13, where he says, I will show you the more excellent way. And it is what we call the great love chapter. The reason he brings this into love is because that's what's missing in Corinth. They may be doing the things they should do, in one sense, but they don't understand the love that should be there between Christians. And so it's kind of interesting that right in the middle of this discussion about the assembly of Christians, the Lord's Supper and gifts, that the more perfect way, what the King James Version says, is a love that is totally different from anything that human beings do. Now, the church <coughs> was purchased by Jesus' blood. Paul makes that point, talking to the elders of Ephesus and Acts. That's what created the church. It exists, as we often see it, in both a, a universal, you know, it's global, but it's also a, a local assembly of believers. And Paul is addressing the local assembly of believers there in First Corinthians. It's a community. It's a family. You know, in some ways, you know, that, that image comes up to, to some people thinking, well, you know, my family's no prize. I'm not saying my family, but some people might say that. My family's a treasure. I'll say that. But, but you know, some families are, are known for their feuding, their fussing, their fighting. They don't get along. Uh, one of the things that I found interesting sometimes doing funerals for people who are not Christians. And sometimes even close members of the family don't show up when mom or dad, you know, pass away. 
or they don't want to be there if their brother or their sister, you know, it's, it, it's just tragic, isn't it? Well, in the New Testament, we're described as a community or family in the most positive senses that could be. And that will come out even more. And even here in this, in this, in our reading from chapter 12, that we are a fellowship of those who have been baptized into Christ by one spirit. We've been all baptized into one, one body. The idea of the body of Christ is really interesting because it's, it's kind of a different concept. It's not you know, thinking in, a, in an organizational way, but it is to see the church as a living organism. And that really lies behind this passage of 1 Corinthians 12. Christ is the head of the body. He is the one who leads. He is the one who controls. He is the one who guides. <coughs> this is not just about us saying what we want to do. This is what Christ wants us to do. And Paul will even say at one point that if we are not holding fast to the body, we're not holding fast to Christ there. You know, we, we can't have a relationship with Christ, not have a relationship with his people. And so, often in the New Testament, we'll refer to us being in Christ, we're in his body, is one of the ways that that is. So, the function of the body is to glorify God, to honor him, and worship would be definitely part of that. But it's more than that, isn't it? It's how we connect with the body. But then, to carry out his work. Uh, you know, we talked, you know, with the statement that I, I made last week. That the, the work of the church, we, we, we look at it in terms of like there is the worship, there is evangelism, uh, there is education, building up within the church. There is benevolence and caring for the poor, the needy, which is as much a part of the work of the church as evangelism. So often in the New Testament, um, our relationship is referred to in terms of one another. There are a number of passages that use the expression one another to, you know, like, in singing, we teach and admonish one another, don't we? That's the idea. Uh, it's not a performance. It is a mutual edification, which means building up. Uh, it's an encouragement. You know, our encouragement when we come together comes from all of us. And so the degree to which we participate and are involved is the degree to which others are involved. You know, and we need to have that, um, that vision of what we're doing when we come here. You know, I, I've had people over the years say to me, there's nothing we do on Sunday morning that I couldn't do at home by myself. Really? You can encourage other Christians. You can build up others. You can worship with others. See, it is about others. It's about that one another. 
And so it's not just organizational membership and association. This is not like a social club. The body of Christ is dynamic. It's functioning. That's why Paul uses that picture here in chapter 12 of the church as a body. You know, you are not just sitting there emotionless, inert, non-functioning lump of clay. If you are, how did you get here? And how are you listening? I mean, think about it. We rely on all of the parts of our body. That's what Paul's point is. You know, you, you look at this passage, and I, I just always love it. <clears throat> because Paul comes at this from both sides. Sometimes we, we kind of feel um, like we don't really belong. We're not good enough. We don't have much to offer. And Paul says, you know, you're not disqualified from the body because you don't feel like you're part. You know, you're not any less part of the body if you're something other than the eye. But then again, the second part of that is that, that one part of the body can't look at the others and say, well, because you don't do what I do, you don't belong either. And so that kind of reflects the, the problem of Corinth that he's dealing with. And so Paul in these verses is describing the church as one body. The foot, the eye, the ear. He doesn't use nose, but I've got a clear nose in there too. That there are, you know, and, and you know, you sit there and start contemplating different parts of your body. You know, look at your hand. Where would you be without your hand? Or hands? Look at your feet. Where would you be without your feet? Your eyes. Your ears. You know, all the different parts of the body, Paul points out. This is not a revelation. This is not anything new. Just reminding the Corinthians that there's a diversity in your body. That your body depends on that diversity. Whether it is racial for the church, whether it is economic, whether it is people are old Christians or new Christians, whether they came from Jewish backgrounds, Gentile backgrounds, they're all indispensable parts of the body of Christ. And so the diversity is visible. And the functions of many are quite visible. Other people serve and function in the background, don't they? Some people, very quietly. You know, sometimes people will say, well, I don't see the use of that person. That's the point, though. Is that it's not our God's church that recognizes the importance of every 
Christian role in the body. If you're part of the body of Christ, if you've been baptized into him, God has a place for you. God has a function and a purpose. And so Paul even uses the idea in case people are, are kind of questioning uh, the difference between some of the presentable body, you know, like well, just put it quite honestly, um, we put a lot of stock in our culture on the face, right? We look at a face, and there are some faces that are just, we enjoy looking at, right? It's beautiful. Some, with the point is, that's how we recognize one another, isn't it? But there are other parts of the body, Paul says, we cover up. We are modest, is the term that is used. And so that modesty um, covers the areas of the body that we sometimes refer to as our privates, because they're private. And yet, Paul's point is to say, we may value those parts more than we do some of the others, right? But whether it is a visible or private, it's all necessary to the functioning of the body. And so the body acts to look after, hurts, needs, gives care. You know, it's, it's why. Some of you know that when I work with things like hammers and saws, I don't have a great record. <laughs> See? <laughs> and so, you get your finger. Some will remember back right before one of my daughter's weddings, I managed to cut deeply with a chainsaw into a couple of fingers. And you know, the first thing that happens with that is you look at it, and you watch it starting to bleed. You say, oh, tough luck. No. Usually it's like you bring it up to your mouth, or cover it with the other hand. Why? Because the body cares for itself. Looks after itself. And so there are parts of the body you know, if you want to get into a biological thing here, that there are parts of the body that start rushing to the scene of the injury to look after and care for it. Doing things that we may not even see because they're at a more microscopic level. That the body cares for itself. And so the point for us is seeing that as the body cares for itself, plus it's that's what the body of Christ does. That we extend the same care to all the members of the body. Because whether we necessarily can see the function of service, that we're all together. And so, we use the word fellowship. And fellowship is one of those words that kind of you hear about but it's kind of a little bit quiet. The Greek word that's translated fellowship means to have or share in common. 
And so the fellowship we have, you know, and unfortunately, we often refer to having a meal together, having a cup of coffee, we're having fellowship. Well, that's actually just an expression of fellowship, and the only thing we have in common, maybe that we're sitting there both drinking coffee. But then you may not be a coffee person, maybe tea, maybe juice, maybe one you know. The idea of sitting together is a, is a demonstration, though. You know, we talk about table fellowship, that having a meal together. But that's not really what fellowship is about. We have fellowship as Christians within the body of Christ because we have a common relationship with God through Christ, right? We have a common salvation. We're part of a family. You know, the ways of that go. And so, in that background, we have different gifts. Paul, in the first part of chapter 12, has been talking about a lot of the different gifts that we have. There are different gifts, there are different service, there are different working. There's some people who have a gift of encouragement. There's some people who have a gift of teaching. There are some people who have a gift for evangelism. There's some people who have a gift for giving. You know, the number of gifts, if you start thinking about it, it seems almost unlimited. But as we use those gifts, that's Paul's point in the first part of the chapter, is we use those for the welfare of the body. That we come together in Christ for the common good. That the gifts are given for the common good of the body. To one another. And so I use my gifts for you. You use your gifts for others. And we become a very strong family. And we build unity. See, that's the vision that Paul's trying to get into the church of Corinth. That's what he talks about love. That what the church needs is love. The idea of seeing that what I do is for the welfare and the good of the other members of that family, of that body. And that's powerful. Because when the world sees Christians that love one another, that help one another, that serve one another, that encourage one another, um, I'll stop one another there. Um, that there's something unbelievable, something unusual about those relationships. Our challenge, really, is to get beyond the me. I would like to point out that the, the Greek word for me, for I, is ego. E-G-O. I don't think let go my ego, okay? <laughs> we bring ego in English as the word ego. And what's that? What? This is a person with a, with a big ego. It's a person who has the big I. It's all about me. What I want. That's not Christianity. That the idea of the church is that this is God's family mutually encouraging and serving one another. 
Paul says that each member does its part. We each have a part in this assembly, in this family, in this body, in this community. And I think it's really powerful in the New Testament that there are all these different expressions to refer to who we are collectively. It's kind of like, okay, you didn't get that one? Okay, well, let's try this. You didn't get that one? Let's try this. We are connected. And in love, we serve one another through our gifts, our talents, and our abilities. So in chapter 14, as Paul is talking about spiritual gifts and the use of spiritual gifts in the assembly, he says, let all things be done for edification. That's building up. That's strengthening. That's teaching. That's encouraging. I just take a second here and kind of don't let them see you do it. Look around at the people by you. Your role here is to edify them, to build them up, to encourage them, to support them. They're part of your forever family in Christ. Doesn't that bring a whole different perspective to what you are and how you are here? So often we measure what happens in the assembly by what I get out of it. Paul is saying is what I put into it for you. How I encourage you. How I support and strengthen you. We are Christ's fellowship, his family, his body. Tim has chosen a song for us to close with that I think really expresses it in, in very biblical terms. Love one another. Love is a God. He who loves is born of God. Let's sing that, not just as the words of the song that we love to sing, but as a reflection of the church, as the fellowship of God's family. As one another, we connect. As we sing, we listen to other members of the body singing to us. That's part of what it is. Maybe this one of your years one who's not yet a Christian. And hopefully as you sing this, that will encourage you. Um, if you want to find out more about becoming a Christian, you can talk with me, one of the other elders, Terry Glenn. Um, maybe as a Christian, you realize that, well, you've been missing out on the one another of God's family. Maybe you want to talk with us about that as well. Let's stand and say